Bibles to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to be at today. We're going to be covering the first 14 verses. Some of the richest doctrinal truth that we find here in the book of John, maybe even in the whole scripture, are found in John 14. I titled this message, Knowing Father God. Now, when I say the word Father, what comes to your mind? For some of you, it's your earthly father. For, for many of you, it may have been a great experience with your earthly father. He, you know, he sacrificed, he gave, he really raised you in the right, right way. But I can tell you, for some of you, when you think of your earthly father, you know he wasn't there for you. Maybe you felt neglected, abused. He walked out on your mom and the rest of the siblings. It actually can be a very painful thought to think about your earthly father. And sometimes, with some people, a bad experience with an earthly father negatively affects how they look at their heavenly father. And we're going to see in this message that Jesus is going to be teaching us, I hope it's not me, I hope it's Jesus through his word, that as we see Jesus, we see the Father. Now, they're not the same one. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we're going to get a better glimpse of understanding who the Father is by looking at the life of Jesus. And you're going to see that very clearly as we go through the passage. So starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I could just stop right there, couldn't I? I won't do a show of hands. But I guarantee you, those of you watching online and here, Melbourne, those are in the, in the uh, commons right now, that many of you have troubled hearts. In the original language, that word troubled means like an agitated heart, stirred up. And I, I think about in my life, have I ever been stirred up, agitated? Oh, many, many times. Part of it's because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I like things to go just a certain way. I remember a time in my life where things weren't going so well in my life where I think in over a two-week period I lost 15 pounds. I completely lost my appetite. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. It was related to some business dealings that I was a part of where they would completely failed and thought I was going to go bankrupt and everything. It was, it was like a very tough time in my life. But Jesus is telling us here, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why was he saying that? Because last week when Pastor Brian was here teaching, we were in chapter 13 and Jesus had told his disciples a few things. He said, uh, somebody's going to betray me. Talking about Judas. Peter, you're going to deny me, and I'm getting ready to leave, and you can't go with me. And all of a sudden, the disciples were, were very troubled. They're like, Jesus, we've been, we've been, we left everything to follow you, Jesus. Now you're going to be leaving us? What, what's, and they were all like stirred up. And Jesus is going to tell us something that will help each and every one of us as a solution for a stirred up, a, a troubled, agitated heart. Let's go back to verse 1. We see the first thing here. He says this. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he doesn't just tell us, don't let your hearts be troubled. He tells us what to do instead. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Now, in the original language, that word believe is the Greek word prostio. Would you say that with me? Prostio. Didn't realize you're going to be speaking Greek today, did you? What does prostio mean? It means such a trust, you've entrusted your life to someone. 
It's not just to believe like, oh, I believe he exists. It's like, no, I entrust myself to this person. And I was trying to think of an analogy that I could share that might best describe it. And I remember a number of years ago, our youngest daughter, she left for the mission field. She lived in the Middle East as a missionary for a year. And before she left, I became the power of attorney for her. We went to a lawyer. We got papers all drafted up. She signed off so I could sell her car for her. I could do her banking, all the type of stuff, because she was out of the country. She wouldn't know. And so I became the power of attorney. She entrusted me. Some of you maybe are power of attorney for maybe an aged parent. You're making medical decisions, financial decisions for them. They've entrusted you. And that's like a picture of what prostio means. You've entrusted your life to God, to Jesus. See, I didn't understand this. Before I got saved, I thought, well, I believe in Jesus. Doesn't everybody believe in God, believe in Jesus? You know, we're all going to heaven. I didn't prostile him. I just believed like he exists. I didn't know him. And so the first thing that God is telling us here through his word is that we need to, instead of being troubled, just trust God. Why can we trust him? Because he's good and he's in control. We may not always understand what he's doing. We may not always agree with things. We don't see the big picture. But trust him. He's good. He's in control. You know, I was, I was thinking about this related to my own uh, kids when they were growing up. We lived in Iowa, and in Iowa there was a lot of storms, tornadoes and so forth. So many times the sirens would go off, and you'd have to run to the basement and, you know, get under a table and everything. And one time our town actually got hit that we were living in by a tornado, and it didn't damage our house, but... On the other end of, of the city we were living in, it, it tore up a swath through. But whenever there was lightning and thunder, at night especially, depending on how bad it was, we'd start getting kids coming into our bedroom, usually from the youngest on up. You know how they have like ratings for tornadoes, you know, they call them the F things, you know. You know, we have categories for Hurricanes, they have F cycles for tornadoes like F1, F2, and so forth. We, we started to say we had storms based on K1, K2, or K3. K3 meaning it's so bad that all three kids were there. And we would just, we got in the habit of keeping sleeping bags and pillows under our bed that we could pull out, put them on the floor. And here's an amazing thing the storm didn't stop, but as soon as the kids were next to us, Laying there on the floor by us, they went right back to sleep. Why? Because they were in the presence of mom and dad. They trusted us. The storm didn't go away, but now they were at peace. And I believe it's a message for us as a church. The storms of life are out there blowing around. We don't know what's going to come next, do we? But we know who we can go and lay at the floor of. Our Heavenly Father. Trust him today. Trust him with your whole being. He will take care of us, even when we can't see it. So here's the first uh, point as you're taking notes. When things don't make sense, trusting God brings us peace. And there is a lot of things that don't make sense. And as time goes, we're going to run into more and more of it. It's easy to trust God when everything is going great, isn't it? But it's when things don't make sense. 
Yesterday, my wife and I were here, and there was hundreds of other people here, right here in this sanctuary. We were here for a, a funeral for Ava, an 18-year-old, who grew up in this church. She was dedicated here and came to a tragic end when in a car accident. But you know, I saw something in her family. I saw the peace of God. I saw a spiritual strength in that family that sat right over here that can only be attributed to God. And uh, Lori, who, the mom of Ava, sings on our worship band on many of our Wednesday nights. And the worship band was up here. Her worship band was up here leading worship songs. At the very end of the service, the last worship song, Lori gets up from her seat, comes up here, takes a mic, and sings with the band. I mean, you're talking about moving. Now, why could she do that? The storm was still there. They're grieving. They're hurting. Ava's in heaven, but they're here picking up the pieces. That's the storm of life. But she was entrusting God. Her and her family are trusting God. That's what we need to do. And we're going to see the next part as we go into verse 2. Another reason we can trust God is, well, let's look at it. Verse 2. My father's house. He's talking about heaven now. Jesus is redirecting people to say, okay, just believe me. Just trust in me. Then he gets into heaven. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Some of your versions, instead of rooms, might say mansions. I'd rather have a mansion than a room anyway, wouldn't you? <laughs> but the original Greek means dwelling place. So whatever that might mean. If it is a mansion, it's beyond any mansion here on this earth, okay? But my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I'd have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back, take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. Heaven. You excited for heaven? We sang about heaven. And I was always thinking about heaven. First of all, I know we have some real, I have some real estate friends here in the church. And uh, you know how we're going to find our home in heaven? Godzilla. Some of you might take a little bit to that one to sink in. Oh, since you respond so well to that one, I got another one. Um, they say all dogs go to heaven, right? You've heard that expression. So where do the cats go? Purgatory. <laughs> anyway, now we don't believe in purgatory. It's not biblical, so don't don't. Send me an emails on that one. It's just a, just a joke, just a joke, okay? And all you cat lovers, I'm sure there's a place there in heaven for them, right? Okay. So Jesus is saying here, my father's house. He's directing people to, why not, why don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. We're passing through. This earth is not our home. We have heaven waiting for us. And he's saying, I'm going there. And I'm preparing a place for you. And from, if you just read it out of the NIV that I'm reading out of, it can give the impression that all the work is going to take place once he gets to heaven. And my wife and I like watching HGTV. We watch the shows where they're renovating 
houses, you know, they start with these junky places and they make them look really nice. And you can get this impression that Jesus, well, he's a carpenter, right? So he's, he's up in heaven. He's making these places for us. He's preparing a place for us. But I don't think that's, that's what that means, is it? In fact, some of your versions give a better clue because it talks about he's leaving them to prepare a place. And I don't believe it's when he gets to heaven. Well, he might be doing some of that there in heaven. I believe he was, the context of it, he was leaving them. Where was Jesus going to go? He was going to the cross. Jesus, by going to the cross, he prepared a place for us. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. So when Jesus left them, he was going to leave them to go prepare a place. See, if he wouldn't have gone to the cross, we wouldn't have a place in heaven. So he went to prepare a place by going to the cross, paying for our penalty. He was buried, but he rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. Now, he may be doing some work in heaven related to preparing a place. I don't know, but I think the real work he did was with going to the cross. So he loves us that much. But you know what the real key of heaven is? You know, we, I could do a whole thing here on what heaven's like that we know in Scripture. There's a lot of stuff that people might write books about and say stuff about heaven. All I know is the Apostle Paul, who went there, came back to life, says, it's not permitted for me to talk about it. In fact, it's unlawful for me. So I don't know about people who go there, and, and there may be some truth to that. I don't know. But I would rather back it up with Scripture. The Bible talks about streets of gold, pearls on the gates, no more crying, no more suffering, no more sin. But you know what the most important thing is about heaven? You see it right here in the verse th- end of verse 3. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Being in the presence of God. Being with Jesus. That is the most important part of heaven. Being with God forever. It's not just about how beautiful it is. It's about who we're with. So that should be really our main part of our focus. Now, heaven is talked about over and over in scripture in fact i didn't look them all up but i read a statistic i I believe it came from a reliable source 557 times heaven's talked about in the bible that's a lot but here's our next point knowing heaven is our real home helps us not fear what happens here knowing heaven is our real home is it helps us not fear what happens here What's the worst thing that could happen to you? We die. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, I don't want to leave any earlier than God's plan is for me, but if he does call me home, I know where I'm going. I wouldn't want it to be a negative for the family, which it would be, so I don't want to leave any earlier, but we know that God has got a home for us, and it's heaven. Look at the passages that I have up on the screen. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm proud of that. I love our country and so forth. Don't always agree with all the decisions being made in our country, but I'm glad to be a part of the United States. Are you with me? But there's something even more important. We're citizens of heaven. And are you eagerly awaiting Jesus' return? He could come at any moment. You know that. 
In the twinkling of an eye, you won't even have enough time to say, Jesus, because he's going to come in the twinkling of an eye, and we will be out of here with the Lord forever. Unless we die before that time, and then we're with the Lord at that point. Look at Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, and I hope that all of you have been raised with Christ. And if you haven't, we can give you an opportunity. At each of the services, we've had people come to Christ in our previous two services. We'll have it here again today, I hope and pray. But since you've been raised with Christ, now what are we supposed to do? Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Talking about heaven. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, two things there that are choices that we need to do. Set our hearts and set our minds on things above. Now, you've probably heard people say this. Maybe they've said it about you. Ah, they're so, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Am I right? That's unbiblical. In fact, with what we just read, unless you are heavenly-minded, you may not be earthly good. You want to be heavenly-minded. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, when he saw this. Store up treasure in heaven. Don't store it up here on earth where the rust comes, the thieves come in and steal it, it decays. He says, store up treasures in heaven. Why? He said, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where's your, he- where's your treasure at today? Is it in heaven? And it will help you This is what Jesus is teaching us. It will help you not allow your hearts to be so stirred up when you go through difficult things here on this earth. It will help us to have more peace, knowing that heaven is our true home. Now, I was thinking of this, and I got another analogy for you. Let's say I came to you and I said, for the next 30 days, I want you to work extremely hard. I got this big, big project for you. You're probably not even going to have time to sleep. You're going to, for the next 30 days, you're going to have to work so, so hard. But at the end of the 30 days, the rest of your life, you're going to be well taken care of. In fact, you won't have a single need. You'll get to do anything you ever want. You'll travel. You'll have everything provided for you, people serving you. It'll all be taken care of. But for the next 30 days... It's going to be really, really hard. Would there be any takers? Yeah. But it's going to be really, really hard. But you know what lies at the end of 30 days? And you might be like, okay, 29 days left. 28 days left. But I know there's an end coming. I think of that related to we need to be busy working here for the Lord now. There's an end coming. And he's going to take good care of us. But he's given us a role and a job to do. Don't lose sight of the why God has you. And we'll get more into that as we get further into this chapter. Even though this life is hard. Look what the Apostle Paul said in, in Romans 8, 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? I'm not trying to make light of your sufferings, the storms that you're going through. They're real. We all go through them. I go through them. But compared to what we have lying ahead of us in heaven, there's no comparison. So be willing to work hard. Be willing to endure and not give up. You know, 
And I, uh, I come back to this, this funeral from yesterday when I saw this family and their faith. And I think, you know, I've seen people walk away from Christ who have gone through w- way less. And I see people go through very difficult things. And I see it, it hurts. But I see them get even stronger in their relationship with Christ. Don't give up. You may be going through a real big battle right now. I don't know what you're going through. Don't give up. Maybe your marriage isn't, isn't going great right now. Don't give up. Maybe, maybe your prayers aren't being answered the way you think they should be. Don't give up. God's got a purpose and a plan. Just trust Him. Heaven is awaiting for us. Well, let's keep going. Verse 4. See, they didn't quite understand the whole heaven thing yet. So Jesus says to them, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Um, Then there's probably this big pause. They're all looking at each other like, you know what he's talking about? I don't know, I don't know. Thomas, Thomas, ask him. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Don't you love Thomas? I love every time he says something. it's, It's kind of a little bit funny in some ways. You know, earlier when we were reading in John 11, he's ready to go die with Jesus, you know. Here he's, you know what Thomas reminds me of? When you were in school, did you ever have one of those students in your class? Or maybe you were the student. You didn't know the answer, but you relied on somebody else to, you know, you didn't understand what was being taught, but you let somebody else ask the question because you didn't want to seem foolish and ask the question, but you were so glad they did because then you... As the teacher explained it again, then you got it. Okay? I like what Thomas is doing here. But I love what Thomas asked because Jesus is about to give one of the most important verses in the Bible as a response. Look at verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, he just talked about his Father's house. Where was that at? Heaven. But now he's saying there's only one way to the Father's house. And it's not a way, it's the way. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Which leads us to our next point. The only way to our Heavenly Father is through Jesus. Now here's what I know. This verse is not very politically correct. It's not accepted by a lot of people. They're going to say, well, you Christians, that's why you're so narrow-minded. You're bigoted. You, you think you know it all, and you're putting all the other religions down. First of all, I didn't write it. I didn't say this. Jesus said it. Anybody who can predict their own death and resurrection and then actually do it, I think they're worth having the mic, okay? So he predicted it. He actually did it. And when he says he's the only way, I'm going to trust that he means it. Many people don't agree with that verse. Yeah. This past uh, Wednesday night, I taught here on Romans chapter 1. By the way, you've got to be here next Wednesday. We're going to get the second half of Romans. Pastor Brian's going to be teaching it. Probably the most difficult part of the Bible is at the end of Romans 1. And we don't want children in here for obvious reasons. But what I read in the Romans 1, the first Paul part, 
the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for great is it the power of God unto salvation. We can't be ashamed of this. And you know what the world has tried to do? is for us Christians to tone it down. He's either the way or he's not the way. And you know, here's what other religions say. Well, you know, Jesus, he's just a good teacher. He's just a prophet. Let me tell you, if this verse is not true, then Jesus is either a liar or a madman. Christianity is not true if this verse is not true. Jesus is the only way. People have a hard time with it. You know what? I'm glad there's one way. Aren't you? You know when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, you know what he prayed? Lord, if there's any other way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. There was no other way. All other religions, it's all based on good works. We're the only one that had God himself come, die for us, and his tomb is empty. All the other religious leaders, if they're still... If they have died, they're, they're in their tomb. We have something unique and different. We have the forgiveness of sins because the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen? So he is the way. He's truth. And truth is narrow by definition. People like don't like this narrow stuff. Well, two plus two, well, I feel like it's, it, should, it should be five. You know what? No, I feel like it should be six. No, then that's not truth. Truth is always two plus two is always four. And our world is wanting to define. Everything is based on our feelings and our, and our emotions and how we think things should be. We can't let go down that path. If we do, then there's absolutely no truth. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. Narrow. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus wants us to find it. And it is narrow. So here's the next point. Don't base your eternal security on personal opinions and feelings. The terrible tragedy to say, well, you know, I just really believe this. You know, I, I think all roads lead to God. Well, yes, they do. All roads do lead to God for judgment. But not for entering into the Father's house. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And that's either true or it's not true. We, we can't allow the society that we live in and the culture that we live in to push us to where we no longer are being truthful. We have to be able to take our stand. Now, we don't do it brashly. We do it lovingly. See, Jesus, the Bible describes Jesus as full of truth, but also of grace and love. We can be full of truth and not water down our message. And we can still love the people that we interact with. We have people out there today that are pushing their truth or their feelings and so forth. We love everyone, but we can't water down the message to try to please people. So this is what we do. We, we base it on the Word of God. And let me tell you something. When I have a chapter and verse like we just went through, I'll be very bold. 
But on personal opinions, I'm not going to be real bold. Because you, you and I will probably have personal opinions about different stuff that we're going to disagree on. That's okay. We don't all have to agree on all the non-essentials. But there's enough essential things that we're worth dying for that we can be bold for. Amen? Amen. Now, let me just say this. I didn't say this in the other services, but I really believe the Holy Spirit's directing me right now. Sometimes what I see on social media from Christ followers is they're bold about the wrong stuff. Okay? If you're going to be bold, be bold with a chapter and verse. If it's based on a personal opinion and you're super bold, you know all you're going to do is you're going to ruin your witness. You're going to ruin your opportunities to build bridges into other people's lives to reach them. Ooh, it's getting quiet. (laughs) I'm just saying it like it is. And I know there's other people that are probably agreeing with it, but it's it's just like be careful what you get so uh, bold about. We can be bold about things that matter and that we know are truth. Now, some people say, well, you know, as long as I believe in God, I'll be fine. Well, you know what the Bible says? Even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. And when Jesus was doing ministry, sometimes he would encounter demon-possessed people. You know what they would say? I know who you are. You're the Son of God. Now, they're not going to heaven because they believe in God. See, they don't prestige believe. Prestige. That Remember what I shared with you earlier? That word believe is that entrusting your life to one. Let's keep going. And if you really knew me or know me, verse 7, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. So Philip didn't quite understand it. He asked a question here. Jesus is trying to say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. We, I'm showing you who the Father is like. So here's our next point. Jesus' character and words reveals the Father to us. We see that kind of throughout the Bible, but he's really showing us who the Father is. Watch the life of Jesus. How does Jesus handle people? How does he love people? How does he sacrifice? How does he serve? His words. Is he loving? But is he truthful? This is showing us the Father. How do you know the Father? By studying the life of Jesus. And this is what he's saying here. Look at Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one can knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus has chosen to reveal the Father to us. And this is a hard concept because sometimes people think, well, you know, God the Father, he was the God in the Old Testament. He was, he was harsh and mean, but boy, I'm glad Jesus came on the scene. He's the nice one. That's not true. You see Jesus, you see the Father. See the Father, you see Jesus. I love this next verse we're going to look at in, in Psalm uh, 145. And this is repeated in many places throughout the Bible talking about the character of our God. Look what it says. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Does that sound like a mean guy ready to plug, beat you over the head with a club because of sin? No. It said the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. That means he's patient. Rich in love. 
The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That's our God. And that's what you see in the picture of the life of Jesus, isn't it? But there is a judgment coming. But he's slow to anger. Don't wait too long. There is a judgment coming. But he's done everything possible to keep us out of hell. You'll have to step over the dead body of Jesus Christ, trample on it to get to hell by your complete rejection of what he did, his death for you. Don't go that far. Realize that he has done everything possible to keep you out. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? See, they're separate, but yet the complete unity. The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now today, is that similar for us? Think about it. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live in us. He wants the Holy Spirit to live in and through us so that when we talk to people, when we open our mouth, when we love people, that he can flow through us. This is how he wants to do life, for us to do life, where he fills us and we operate being used by the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying, this is an example of what he was doing. He was, the Father was in him, he was in the Father, and he was speaking on behalf of the Father. Verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least, in other words, he said, if you don't believe my words, believe in the evidence of the works themselves. I think that's really important because sometimes people don't really believe what we say or they believe the words of Jesus, but believe the works then. I've had people come to Christ by studying the life of my wife and I. They may not have believed the message that we had, but they saw something different in us. I hope it's God flowing in and through us, and we can draw people to Christ by people watching our lives. Some people may not want to hear what you have to say, but they'll watch. How are you living your life? You're going to get into that just a little bit more here in a second. Verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Now, verse 12 is sometimes confused by people. What do you mean, doing? We are going to do greater things than Jesus? How can that be? He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. How, I don't know that we could do anything greater than raise somebody from the dead. Well, he's not talking about being sensational, like in the quality of things that we do, but more in the quantity that we have the opportunity to take the gospel beyond just one confined area. Jesus only ministered for three and a half years. He was only really ministering in this area around Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee. But we have the opportunity to take the gospel throughout the whole world. We can do even greater things. The day of Pentecost, Peter shared his first sermon. For all you Bible scholars, how many people were saved that day? 3,000. That was more than Jesus saw saved in one of his ministry things. That was Peter. See, we have the opportunity. Think about how many people, how many millions of people came to Christ through the life of Billy Graham. We have that opportunity to do these great things on behalf of the Lord. 
Because he's there, he's in heaven, he's praying for us, he's given us his spirit. So here's our next point. Jesus will help us do the works of the Father. He will help us do the works of the Father. We don't have to do it on our own. In the last two verses here, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now, don't put a period there. Some people get funky with this. Say, well, you know, I mean, anything I ask, all I have to do is tack in Jesus' name on the end of it. I'd like to have a million dollars. I'd like to have, you know, whatever, Maserati. I'd like to have this or that. No, that's not. He says, whatever you do, whatever you ask in my name, why? So that the Father may be glorified. Is your prayer to glorify the Father? We know in 1 John, he talks about uh, uh, praying according to his will. So you can't pick a verse out of context. Sometimes people do this, and then they get really funky with it. So let's start back in 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And that's why we don't just take a verse out of context. We use it in all. What is Jesus talking about? Doing the works that glorify the Father. Which brings us to our last point. Our motive in life should be to glorify God. What is your motive in life? Is it to glorify God? You know, we introduced a new mission statement here back in January. And the first part of that mission statement is that we as a church, we exist to glorify God. It was so important that that was the beginning of the mission statement. We exist to glorify God. Is your marriage glorifying God? Is your parenting glorifying God? Is your work ethic at your, at your job site, is that glorifying God? Look at these passages up on the screen. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name... Whom I created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. Do you know that we were created? Not so we can live a life of leisure. Now we can enjoy things, right? God wants us. He gave us life and life is to the full, but we were created for his glory. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, it says this So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's what he wants for us, is to glorify him. That's our motive. That should be our motive, that we exist to glorify God. Now, as we wrap up the message, I want us to have some self-reflection questions. I want you to think about these questions. First of all, do you have a troubled heart today? What are you going to do? You're going to trust God. You're going to trust Jesus. You're going to entrust your life to him. Then is your, is your focus more on earth or on heaven? Are you getting all tied up in knots because everything is about what's going on around you here on this earth? Don't lose sight of where we're going to. That We're just passing through. The Bible calls us aliens. This is not our home. Next is Jesus, your only way to the Father. In a moment, I'm going to pray. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior... I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, that your name can be written in that book of life, that he is the only way. And if you're trying to do it any other way through your good works or whatever it might be, it's all going to fall short. Next, what's your view of the Father? Is it the same as Jesus? 
Do you see Jesus, see the Father? Do you, do you see the Father full of love and compassion, mercy and grace, healing truth, serving, empowering? Am I doing the works of God? He wants us to be active, serving Him, doing His work. And He's given us His Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us. To, to He says, greater works than what I've been doing, you can do. Are you doing it? And lastly, what is our motive? Is it selfish? Is it draw attention to ourselves? Look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing. Because I'm doing this, I'm going to post it so everybody can see. And they go, oh, that's great. You're, you're the most wonderful person. <laughs> Why am I doing it? What's my motive? For the glorify, to glorify God, amen? Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge of your word. I thank you for the hope that you've given to us by as we trust you, as we see heaven as our true home. And I just pray for every person here, Lord God, that you would just wash them with your presence. Any troubled hearts here today, Lord God, that they would just be, the peace of God would just flow. Peace beyond our understanding would just flow in and through us, Lord God. Help us to glorify you. Help us to be on mission, serving you, loving you. Lord, we are so thankful for all that you've done. And I just pray right now, if there are any people here, they're on, watching online, they're in the commons, they're, they're here in the sanctuary, and, and you know you're not in a right place with God, that you need to get your life straightened out, you need to recommit your life to Christ, let me lead you in a prayer. And it's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart. Just pray this. Heavenly Father, I know I'm in sin. I know I'm not in a place where I'm supposed to be at with you. But I'm coming to you today. Because I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive me of all my sins. And he rose from the dead. So come live in me, Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you from this day forward. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.